Well, how about it, Duck fans? How about it? College game day is coming back to Eugene. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks, which is why if you haven't already, please like, comment, subscribe, wherever you're listening to or watching the show. I'm so grateful to all of you out there, genuinely. When I took this show over, we had eight subscribers on the YouTube channel. We're now over 13 Hundred. Thank you, thank you, a million times thank you. You may also be noticing that I sound a little bit different. I look just ever so slightly different, not my usual setup that I've got here. The craziness that went down, I'll explain it in about 20 seconds. On Saturday afternoon, I was at a wedding reception for one of my oldest friends, and the Mariner game, of course, was on. They were down 2-0 in a best-of-five series to the Houston Astros. So my parents and I, who live up here in Edmonds, Washington, just 20 minutes north of Seattle, devised a plan, and that was get on the 545 flight from San Jose to Seattle. The game starts at 1, and by the time it's over, whether or not the Mariners have earned themselves a fourth game on Sunday. So those of you who know what happened in that game know it went 18 innings, so I ended up getting on the flight not knowing whether or not there would be a game to come to up here, but yada, 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 here just for a day, I'll be back in my regular setup in uh, the southern part of you tomorrow but how about the news that Oregon gets in the bye week college game day back at Autzen Stadium this week for a top 10 showdown number CLA number 10 and one loss Oregon the only one loss team currently ranked ahead of the Ducks is Alabama what a football game that was what a college football weekend that was was that incredible Was that not amazing there are times especially early in the year because we don't fully know all the time whether or not highly ranked teams are going to fulfill the promise or potential of a given season. But we see these ranked matchups over the course of a week, and we look at the college football slate, and we say, man, this could be a really awesome, this great week. And sometimes it doesn't live up to the hype. This weekend wasn't one of those weekends. And it was nice to not have an Oregon game, frankly, to be able to just sit back and watch it all unfold. And the chips have fallen in such a way that allow the Ducks to be back inside the top 10. They opened the year at number 11, fell out, and now just week by week, impressive performance after impressive performance, looking the way they're supposed to against the team that they are better than. They have their way back to number 10. UCLA is number nine. They're coming into Autzen Stadium. The Ducks open right about what I thought they'd be at, a six to seven point favorite, depending on where you look. I think it's six, six and a half hovering around there at this point in time. Chip Kelly's trying to win in Autzen Stadium for the first time when he has not been the head coach of the like the storylines are just abundant only two remaining unbeaten Pac-12 teams only two teams in the Pac-12 that are currently inside the top winner will be the highest ranked Pac-12 team in the country the winner will be 4-0 in league play and in the driver's seat to get to Las Vegas for the 2022 Pac-12 championship game the storylines here are just abundant and I was hoping game day would be there I won't say I you know started the campaign or anything on Twitter, but I see tweets of like, I really hope game day is going to be there. Really wanted it because it's a big opportunity and they are coming to Eugene for 
the first time since 2008. Cannot wait. I cannot wait, Duck fans, to wake up on Saturday morning like I do every Saturday in the fall. Put on college game day and see all of you out there decked out green and yellow and whatever color jersey or shirt you have chosen to don that has that Oregon O or P on it. Whatever it is, I can't wait to see all of you screaming and shouting and enthusiastically supporting this just beautiful spectacle that is College Game Day. It's really, really awesome. And it hasn't been to Eugene since 2018. Now, I hope very much so that however this game goes, which we'll be talking about all, all week here on the show, that it doesn't go the way that the 2018 game went. If Oregon loses, that's one thing. If the Ducks lose, our all-pro, or not all-pro, I guess, all-conference, all-American caliber center snaps the ball over the head of our six-foot-six quarterback a couple times, only to be returned back for a touchdown. Yeah, it'd be a long, be a long Saturday afternoon, let me tell you. That Stanford nightmare aside, and the way it ended, and it was terrible, it is important that we focus in here. And the opportunity, I know, I have no doubts whatsoever about how Duck fans are going to fill that up. I have no reservations, no concerns, because I've seen them show up before. And when you haven't been there in four years, part of that's been on Oregon, and part of that's been on the Pac-12. The way the scheduling has worked out, the big games just haven't been the ones that feature Oregon at Autzen Stadium or teams that come in Autzen Stadium haven't been ranked very high. This is a big, big-time showdown, and you just don't get game day out on the West Coast very often, especially now, But the, which I'll talk about in the context of Oregon and their championship hopes this year later in the show, thanks to a mailback question is really looking competitive. I mean, it is fantastic. Some of you may know I host Locked On Pac-12, available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Let me tell you, it's been a blast and a half. <laughs> it's been an absolute – go listen to today's show. I'm having the time in my life talking about this stuff. It's awesome. And the Pac-12 for the first time in what feels like a long time has depth and has really good teams. Utah is the best two-loss team in the country. There's no other way to look at it. They're the highest ranked, and they're very clearly the best. They're a better team than Florida. They just didn't win on that particular day. And Because if they had, they could still be in the college football playoff discussion. Because what a game, what a scene, what a spectacle, what a, what a moment that was for Utah there in Salt Lake City on Saturday night. You've got USC. That is still a very good team with an elite array of Weapons and a masterful general at the helm in their play caller, Lincoln Riley, and head coach. You've got UCLA with Chip Kelly in year five putting all the pieces together, making them play their best brand of football that UCLA has seen in a long, 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 long time. Got Oregon, the biggest brand in the Pac 12 for the last four years that has won at a high level. Trojans fans out there say, well, no, it's USC hasn't been winning at a high level. Now they are. And here's the disappointing part about conference realignment. You've got 
Washington in the mix. Oregon State is a pretty good team. Washington State, as we well know, is respectable. You've got some serious depth here. But you also now have the top tier at the top. The only one missing is Washington. And you have a different feel for Pac-12 football. And Oregon being right in the center of it, right in the thick of things, is so great. And the opportunity to to distinguish themselves, the demons of that opening week loss, and recapture the national respect of a lot of fans who watched them get beat down by the Bulldogs, can now play a good UCLA team at Autzen Stadium, which better be sold out. They can watch them on game day, which better be filled to the brink. And I suspect both will. Oregon's got a chance to showcase what they are really capable of and the football team they are now, not what they were six weeks ago against. I can't wait to see the numbers out there. And speaking of numbers, they don't lie. In the last decade, over 4 million people have chosen Simply Safe Home Security to protect their home. You don't earn the trust of that many people without doing something right. At Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. I know because I, I know people who have Simply Safe, they speak very, very highly of it. With 24 7 professional monitoring, Simply Safe's agents call you the moment a threat is detected and dispatched police responders in an emergency, even if you're not home or you can't be reached. Their monitoring experts use proprietary advanced response technology to visually confirm when a, so you can get the highest priority police dispatch. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash locked on college. Save 20% on your Simply Safe security system when you sign up for an interactive monitoring plan to get your first month free. Visit simplysafe.com slash locked on college to learn more. There's no safe like Simply Safe. So this is just such a fun this is going to be a really fun week. This is I I'm I'm so stoked for every single day. I decided, as you all know, to do every show on here. I love doing it, but this week of all weeks with that game and this matchup and what's on the line, and both teams are coming off a bye, which is odd to say the least. But that advantage isn't there for Oregon. You know what it is? You, the home fans, everybody who can get out there to Austin Stadium. You get your butts in those seats, you scream your head off for three hours you will the Ducks to a win. That is this week, Duck fans. My mission here, get you ready for it. Get you excited for it. And I just love, love the big stage that they're going to be playing Chip. I've always rooted for Chip wherever he has gone. I always will. No love loss on Saturday here, buddy. I'm sorry, coach, but I'm really, really hard because the Ducks to a national audience can show that they're an improved football team, in Pac-12 play. They can get another marquee win on the schedule, probably their biggest marquee win, I, I should say. The BYU win was really good at the time. It's looking a little weaker as the as the weeks go on. I'm not quite sure. I thought they were a much better football team. Maybe they would have been if they'd beaten a more confident bunch. I don't really know what's going on. I I just I thought they would be better. They lost to a bad Notre Dame team. We just lost to Stanford, and we saw people of not very much, and that game was in South Bend as well. So from Oregon's, from a resume standpoint, right, do I think ball playoff? No. Is it out of the realm of possibility? Absolutely not. It is not. 
And so it's okay as a fan to start thinking about those sorts of facts. Right? You have to have quality wins if you're going to get in. Yes, you need help. Well, Alabama loss, that helps. <laughs> that helps a great deal. Still has to play Georgia. You figure Georgia's going to get in, but is a two-loss Alabama going to get in over a one-loss Pac-12 champion? Probably not. Not if USC or not if Oregon is able to be potentially USC in the Pac-12 championship game in addition to UCLA and Utah and to Oregon State. And then hopefully they take care of business and look the way they should against Colorado and Cal. Those are the games potentially that are remaining. And who the other team, if Oregon, God willing, can get into the Pac-12 championship game again this season, who they would play, it's still up in the air. It is anybody... UCLA beat Utah, Utah beat USC. They've a, they're all doing this fun little round robin thing. And it, remember, very important to remember, it is not North champs champion. It is the two teams with the highest winning percentage in conference play. That's who will go to Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas this year. It does not matter if we win the North. We could still not go if we've got two losses or if we have a loss and it's to UCLA. I don't even know. Like there's so many different ways it could go, but having a matchup with one of those three other schools that's currently in the running and controlling their own destiny to get there. And there are four schools that can do that. Oregon, UCLA, USC, Utah, which coming into the year, those who are, those are who I thought would be the four best teams in the conference past the midway point. They can all get there and they wouldn't need any outside help because USC would just have to beat UCLA and they would, they would get there. Utah has to win out, but they've got one loss. So they have less margin for error. Same thing with USC, UCLA game, but still get there. And they would maybe need a, I don't think they would need any other help because you don't have another matchup with, with the other schools aside from USC, but the team that gets there is probably going to have a conference loss. And all, all those scenarios are really, really fast. Check in before I get to the mailback questions today, which uh, come from my guy Peyton, who uh, sent in a couple of really, really good ones that did uh, make a bottom, and I thought about them as well. Uh, I just wanted to, to do a quick check-in on a couple of uh, hashtag pro ducks. Uh, Marcus Mariota was 13 of 14. In an upset home win for the Falcons, 28-14 over the 49ers on Sunday. And then, you know, I, I saw this video of Kayvon Thibodeau. And he was kind of emotional after a huge win that nobody thought the Giants would pull off against the Baltimore Ravens. And, um, yeah, he continues to be an impact player since coming back from an injury and playing for the now 5-1 and one Giants. It's really, really strange. I heard from so many people who had definitely watched a lot of Kayvon Thibodeau football come on and say, well, I don't know about his effort. I don't know about his commitment. I don't know if he loves the game. Is his effort there consistently? Hmm. Yeah. You know who came on here and said, you're all being ridiculous, this guy's really good? Me. It was me. I said that, and I told you at the time that when he turned out to be a good difference maker for the Giants, I'd come on here and be as obnoxious as humanly possible. Well, guess what, everybody out there? I don't even know if those people are watching or listening. I hoin. Because if you doubted this guy, I'm here to tell you, you were wrong, and I'm taking a victory lap. Because that guy's good, and the Giants are good. Their defense is a reason why, and Thibodeau is a force. Yeah, I just had to throw that out there. All right.
Let's get to our two mailbag questions from Peyton. All right, Spencer, I have two questions for you, two in all caps. He wanted to know that there were there were a pair coming. And by the way, if you ever want a question answered here on the show, you tweet with the hashtag AskLODPod, at Smalls underscore 55, or at LockedOnDucks, or the Twitter handles. You slide up in the DMs. You can go in the mentions, too. Hop in the YouTube comments. I monitor those every day. Always to get a question answered here on the show. Peyton came via the direct messages. Slide and write up in there, as you all can do. I have two questions. Thought real hard for these. Love to hear it. Who scares you the most, USC or Utah? That's a juicy question. Both played a great game last night. Yeah, I'll say. And the defense was non-existent. I agree. It was very, uh, very classic or, I guess, modern Big 12-esque. You know, that had, a, that had a Big 12 feel to it. Out of the past four years, let's say, uh, this is question number two, who is the one recruit you look back and say, I wish we could have gotten him? So I'll go to the first question. Who scares me more, USC or Utah? They both have features that that worry me. I'll start with the Utes. That is a well-coached football team. And what they showed this weekend is they don't have to win just one way. Oregon State is a good football team. They played very well against Washington State with a backup quarterback, held them to 10 points, which, as we know, is not super easy. Their defense is really, really good. Oregon State this year, they have one way to beat you. Now, it doesn't mean they're not a good team or they're not a tough matchup, but when you watch them play, you say, okay, they're not built to win shootouts with their quarterback-wide receiver combination. They're built to play with defense and a ball-control, run-centric offense. Their offensive line is in the football. They've got some solid backs. Their offensive coordinator and head coach, Jonathan Smith, Brian Lindgren, Smith, the head coach, Lindgren, the OC, I think are smart. But if you tell me that you're trying to get into a shootout with them, right? How do they play USC tough in a low-scoring defensive struggle? How did they beat Washington State? It was 24-10. to 10. It wasn't that high-scoring until the end of the game. That's what they're built to do, and they know that. Utah, what they showed is they know how to win in more than one way. They can go with the Oregon State approach, where they want to run the football. Cam Rising's a good runner. Tavion Thomas is good. The offensive line is not quite what it was last year from what I've seen, but they're solid. And they know, and Micah Bernard, their backup, is excellent. By the way, if he comes back next year, I, I don't know what his eligibility is. Utah will be fine in the backfield. That guy is a good running back. But Tavion Thomas is an even better running back. But that's what they want to do. And what impressed me with Utah so much on Saturday night was they were taken out of that. They ran for, I believe, under 150 yards. They ran it somewhat efficiently against a porous USC rush defense. But they just went out there and said, you know what? USC has got us down 14 points at home. We've got to throw the football. And they did. And they did it without Brant Keithy, who's their best tight end out for the season. But his backup is really good, Dalton Kincaid. And guess what? He had 16 catches for 234 yards. The guy was everywhere. Devon Vele is a good receiver on the outside. And Cam Rising, I almost never... He got helped out a little bit with a questionable roughing the passer penalty that saved an interception. 
but he's almost never putting the ball in jeopardy. He's making the right reads. He doesn't have the biggest arm. He's not the fastest, but he is big enough. He is fast enough. His arm is good enough. And right here between the ears, I trust him as much as any quarterback in the Pac-12. More on why that Utah win was so impressive and the danger they present. After I remind you, this episode brought to you by Bet Online, your number one source for football betting info this season. I've been using them on Locked On Pac-12 to send out some ice-cold Pac-12 prime picks the last couple of weeks. Went 0-3 over the weekend. Um, got the outrights in two or three, but uh, did not have the covers. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, Bet Online remains your continued source for all your sport wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there, the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including Major League Baseball. Go Mariners. Forever and always, the drought is over, and it's time to focus on how we can win a World Series. MMA, boxing, my personal favorite, golf. Head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more at BetOnline, where the game starts. So the thing with Utah is I knew that they could win one way, and we saw it last year. Be physical, play great defense, run the football, hit explosive plays every now and then. But what they showed against USC, which is probably the best all-around offense in the Pac-12, at least from a weapon standpoint, is they can go toe-to-toe and score points and throw the ball, sling it around. Kyle Whittingham, you talk about back in the day, Oregon football, the, the fans used to say, you know, big balls chip because he was going for it on fourth down all the time. How about Kyle Whittingham? At home, number seven team, you've come all the way back from a 14-point deficit. He's not playing for overtime. He goes for two. He puts the ball in the hands of number seven, and Cam Rising makes a play. Heck of a moment. And that is a concerning element for Utah. However, their defense is not as good as it was last year. I thought they'd play much better against USC. They did not. They have got no pass rush. If Well, not if, but when Oregon plays them. One thing I'll be talking about going into that game is I expect the Oregon offensive line to continue to give Bo next time. Caleb Williams had an eternity to throw the football. I mean, He was rarely under pressure. They had to blitz a lot of extra guys, and USC was able to handle it sometimes, and other times they they were not. But that offensive line for Oregon is, as we know, very, very good, probably the best in the Pac-12. And that defensive front for Utah, without Devin Lloyd, and I, I don't know what other guys they lost from the front four, but they do not look the same there. So though they they still present a very real threat, and I'm not particularly confident in in Oregon playing them, even though it's at Austin Stadium. I am more confident the more I watch the Utes, who I think are a good team. They can still win the Pac-12. They are still good enough to do that, but they are not quite what they were a year ago. So my answer here is USC scares me more because on an individual matchup basis with Oregon, I see an even better version of what Arizona presented or what Washington State presented. And that's an ability to get the ball on the perimeter, be multiple in the passing game, and get the ball to wide receivers, not tight ends. I think Oregon can match up well with tight ends. Arizona's did not get involved very much. Stanford likes to go to their tight end, Benjamin Urosic. He wasn't really a factor. I think Oregon's got bodies like Jeffrey Boss and Bennett Williams to match up with tight ends very well and take them out of the game. But 
when it comes to wide receivers, I trust Gonzo and nobody else, at least not consistently, right? Triquez makes a nice play every now and then. Dante Manning in spurts. Jalil Florence shows an unbelievable amount of potential, but is still growing and is still learning. So when you look at USC, they're very wide receiver dependent. So I think from a personnel standpoint, it's a bad matchup. I don't think Oregon would have a problem scoring on their defense, which can't stop the run. Oregon does that very well. They do get after the passer really well, but the Ducks have done an excellent job keeping Bo Nix upright this season, so I, I trust them implicitly there. And USC has been very turnover dependent. That's why their defense allowed 43 points, is they only forced one turnover. And even though it came in the red zone, the Utes still put up 43. I feel confident in that sense in a hypothetical matchup between the Ducks and the Trojans, but I think Oregon's defense could have a really tough time. You got Jordan Addison, you got Mario Williams, you got Brendan Rice, like all these guys who Lincoln Riley knows how to get involved. And yes, Travis Dye is a part of it as well. And he's, as we remember, still very good. I think that's a tough matchup for Oregon, more so than what Utah presents. Whereas Lining up, just looking at the matchups, they're going to go much more, you know, 11, 12 personnel, you know, one back, one or two tight ends, or even 13 from time to time for Utah. And I think that sets up more favorably for what Oregon brings to the table defensively, where you'd have, you know, Noah Sewell, Justin Flo involved in the run game, probably Boston in coverage, Bennett Williams, bring Jamal Hill down into the box and such. I think that's just a lot easier for Oregon to work with. Like, do I think the Ducks have a better chance of stopping Devon Vele and Dalton Kincaid with that Utah rushing attack? Or Lincoln Riley is a play caller with Caleb Williams, who's a more mobile quarterback than Cam Rising, who still moves quite well, who's trying to get the ball to Caleb Williams is to all those receivers I just mentioned. I think that's why USC prevents presents a tougher matchup. I think Utah is the better overall football team, but the matchup specifically, I think is tougher for Oregon. So I'd, I'd rather, I know it sounds crazy, but I, I think I'd rather play Utah than, than USC, even though they're the better all around football team. I just think those matchups be really, really tough. Second question that he asked uh, out of the past four years, let's say who's the one recruit you look back and say, I wish we could have gotten him. I did have to think about this one for a little while, but I came down on not not one, but two guys would have been nice to have gotten uh, at least one of them with the way this 2023 recruiting class is is shaping out. Now, there are guys ready and waiting to to fill in on the offensive line after the season. But if you told me right now, in addition to Josh Connerly, who's the left tackle of the future for the next couple of seasons, and hopefully we get three out of him, but it might just be two because he might be gone in the NFL. We'll see how his progression uh, is with, with Adrian Clem there, who knows a thing or two about what it takes to get to the NFL, seeing as how he coached there for several years, many, many years. One of Kelvin Banks or Kingsley Suamataia, sorry, Kingsley, right? Kingsley was with Oregon for a little bit, high-rated four-star, and then he wasn't playing left, and now he's over at, at BYU. And then Kelvin Banks was committed to Oregon, five-star offensive lineman, and then Mario left and he flipped and went, went to Texas. So no, no surprise there, right? That sort of thing was expected, but I like some of the other guys, you know, Jackson powers, Johnson actually looks like a, a pretty good player on the interior of the offensive line. Marcus Harper has been uh, pretty serviceable and such, but if you told me the tackles of the future, let's say it was Calvin banks, just cause his name's a little easier to pronounce. But if you had Connerly on one side, 
and Banks on the other, that would have had the makings of another offensive line line years. And for the last couple of seasons, offensive line has been ridiculously good. It starts in recruiting. It ends in development. But even Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal were bringing in guys who were decently decently rated recruits, like Panay Sewell, for instance, right? That was uh, a high four-star, high, high four-star recruit in, in Panay Sewell, who, you know, has turned out to be really, really good, as we all figured. But he didn't have a litany of, of five-star guys that were coming in. They just knew how to develop them really, really well. And so we'll see what this staff is able to do with that unit because I think that's one of the biggest changes from the last staff to this one is how good can your offensive line be? Because this is not their offensive line. They're getting the, you know new offensive scheme. Adrian Clem deserves credit for, for implementing that seamlessly so far. But they also have a lot of experience, a lot of playing time together, a lot of talent. The biggest test for Adrian Clem is going to be the next year or two and what offensive lines he can put together. I love Connerly as a starting piece. I would love it even more if Kelvin Banks were on the other side. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time. This is going to be a really fun week of shows, everybody. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.